you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is where we'll be in our Bible study time. For those of you joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Reach inside your bulletin, pull out your notes so you can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International app so that you can take notes as we get into Acts chapter 19. Last week, Danielle and I took our kids um, to go see the new movie about Neil Armstrong walking on the moon for the first time called First Man. A fascinating movie based on this biography um, of his life of being the first human being that walked on the moon. Uh, if you like history, if you like, you know, seeing space, if, you, you know, or if you're into space and science and history, this would be a great, great movie for you. What Hollywood does to make kind of space travel come to life um, is awesome. But the movie itself is kind of sad. Because the movie's based on the book, and the book is really based on Neil Armstrong's kind of lifetime of not being able to move past losing his two-year-old daughter, Karen, to a brain tumor um, when she was young and before he became an astronaut. It shows him on the moon uh, looking at the earth but thinking about his daughter. He was just never in life comforted on the loss of his daughter. Uh, like I do every time I see a historical movie, because I'm a history buff, I go look up everything about the movie and the people in the movie and the circumstances surrounding the movie that I possibly can. So I've not only read everything about the moon landing, I also know about all the conspiracies that there wasn't a moon landing now, because I like to learn about the things and the actors who were there. But I learned that Neil Armstrong was a deist um, while I researched his life. You say, what's a deist? A deist is somebody who believes that God created the heavens and the earth, and then they left it alone to run. Uh, in theology, a deist would be somebody who sees God as a clockmaker. He puts everything in order to make it run, then he pushes go and steps away, and the clock runs itself. A deist believes in God. They just don't believe that they're involved in everyday life. They don't believe they ever come and interrupt our lives in any way. And as I thought about Neil Armstrong, and as I thought about this series that we're teaching on the Holy Spirit, I thought there are a lot of Christians in our church today, in churches today, who, who practically are deists. I mean, it's not their theology. They wouldn't call themselves a deist, but they're practically a deist because they believe this. They believe God created the heavens and the earth. They may have believed that God has forgiven their past and he's going to be there in heaven. But on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, they aren't interacting with God. He's in heaven, they're here, and there's not any really daily interaction. A deist believes that God doesn't interact with people. There are a lot of Christians who don't believe that, but that is the reality of their life. They are not interacting with God on a daily basis. And that's not new to any church that's ever been around, including one of the greatest churches in the history of the world that we're going to read about in Acts chapter 19. We step into the church at Ephesus, which became the greatest church in the history of the world. And we found out that they didn't know much about interacting with God through the Holy Spirit. Before we jump into the text today, can we just pray quickly together? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and ask God to speak to your heart? Would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you just say, speak to me today, Lord? I'm listening. Just ask God to speak to you. Tell him that you're listening. God, as we read your word, we want to acknowledge that it's yours. It's not ours, but it's your word to us. It's for us. So speak to us. Show us what you want us to see. Tell us what you want us to hear. Our hearts are open. We're listening. Speak to us, Lord, and help us to know you better today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. In Acts chapter 18, the apostle Paul started a church in a city called Corinth, which became one of the greatest churches in the first century. You can go to Corinth today and visit a lot of the places where the Apostle Paul was when he started the church. He stayed there for 18 months, and after 18 months, he left some of his young apprentices there, and he said, I'm going to Ephesus to start a church there. Some believers had been gathering for church in Ephesus. He showed up in Ephesus, and he, like us, was doing a series on the Holy Spirit. 
He was going to teach them, do a Bible study, preach through a series on the Holy Spirit. And he started with this question. Uh, First question before I start this series, he said, tell me what you know about the Holy Spirit. Listen to their answer because maybe you feel like them. In Acts chapter 19, it says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. The church at Ephesus was gathering every Sunday. They were learning about Jesus. They were learning about salvation. They were learning about Christianity. They probably sang songs, opened their Bibles, learned from the scriptures. This church would become one of the greatest churches in the history of the world. Its impact, its influence, its longevity. But none of that happened until they learned who the Holy Spirit was and how to capture its power. They were having church every Sunday. And when Paul said, tell me what you understand about the Holy Spirit, they said, we've never even heard of such a thing. Teach us about the Holy Spirit. When he did, this church exploded in its impact, its influence, and its legacy. And A.W. Tozer, who's a great pastor and theologian from the mid-20th century, said most Christians kind of live here for a time in Christianity where they're following Jesus, but they know nothing about the Holy Spirit. Here's what Tozer said nearly 60 years ago. The idea of the Spirit held by the average church member, is so vague as to be nearly non-existent. When he thinks of the matter at all, he's very likely to try to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp of invisible smoke, which is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they're dying. Frankly, he does not believe in any such thing, but he wants to believe something and not feeling up to examining the whole truth in the light of Scripture. He compromises by holding belief in the Spirit as far out from the center of his life as possible, letting it make no difference in anything that touches him practically. This describes a surprisingly large number of earnest persons who are sincerely trying to be Christians. Maybe it describes you. If so, that's okay. It described the church at Ephesus. People really trying to live for Jesus who functionally knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. That's why we're embarking the next six weeks on this series. Last week, we saw Jesus on the last night of his life. We just celebrated communion together that happened during that Passion Day. We heard Jesus tell the disciples, I am leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming, so everything is going to be okay. The central teaching of Jesus telling the disciples why Christians can stick with it is because they have the Holy Spirit, which means he has to be pretty important to us. We learned last week he's better than Jesus, according to John 16, 7. We learned that he speaks to our hearts just like Jesus would if Jesus were here. We learned that he connects us to God. And through this series, the next five weeks, we're going to keep studying about the Holy Spirit, some basic theology. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit, his purpose in our life? Why do we have the Holy Spirit? How can you even know if you have him? The gifts that he gives, why he gives them the fruit that he produces and how you can know how strong you are in the spirit, the strength that he brings your life. Today, unfortunately, as we dig into a little bit of theology, is going to, at the beginning of the message, feel more like class than church. I wish it didn't, but there's some basic, basic things biblically about the Holy Spirit that you have to understand. So the first part of this, for those of you who are like kind of intellectual geeks and you love theology, you're going to love the first 15 minutes of this message because it's just in-depth. Here's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And then we'll turn about halfway through and say, how does this apply to me? What can I get out of this? But I want to start with two questions today. As we dig into this series, here are the two questions I want to try to answer this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do in the life of a Christian? Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do in the life of a Christian? It was my goal today 
to teach you what the Holy Spirit does and how you can hear from the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. But as I got into making that message, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, stop, before you teach them what or how, teach them who. They have to know who I am. Teach them the foundational truth of who the Holy Spirit is, then begin to teach them how I work. So that's what we're going to try to do. Who is the Holy Spirit Two, two basic answers to basic theology. Answer number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Some of you are thinking, I thought everyone knew that. And some of you are thinking, really? Like not everyone knew that. The Holy Spirit is a person. If my little girl Casey came home next, next week and said, Dad, I've started dating someone, I would not say, well, when do I get to meet it? Um, like I would say, when do I get to meet him, right? I told somebody a few weeks ago, we're getting ready to start a series on the Holy Spirit. And they said, that's awesome. I've always wanted to learn more about it. It is not an it. He is a person. The Holy Spirit, we're told, is a person. And here's what you need to understand. The Holy Spirit is more than just a spiritual influence that kind of hovers over the world. The Holy Spirit is more than just an inner voice that sometimes we feel like we, we hear every now and then. We have to see Christianity as a relationship with God. And to see Christianity as a relationship with God, we have to see the Holy Spirit as a person, not just a presence. This is, of course, what Jesus said in our text last week in John 16, 7. When Jesus began to tell the disciples about the Holy Spirit, he said, Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send, what's the word? Him, not it. I will send him to you. Jesus said, a person named Jesus is leaving you. But a person called the Holy Spirit is coming to you. One person's going. Another person is coming back. The Holy Spirit is a person. You say, what do you mean he's a person? Here's what I mean by that. He has personality traits. He has personhood qualities. The very first study Bible I ever bought in seminary was the Ryrie Study Bible. Good study Bible, not the best I've ever read, but it was the one that they made all the seminary students purchase where I was. It was written by Charles Charles Ryrie, who was a great mid-century theologian. And here's what he said about the Holy Spirit being a person. He said, personality may simply be defined as possessing intellect and emotions and will by demonstrating that the Holy Spirit has intellect and emotions and will, it will be shown he is a person and he has a personality. So you say, well, what are the person traits of the Holy Spirit? Well, first, according to Scripture, he has intellect. The Holy Spirit has intellect. According to 1 Corinthians 2.10, the Spirit searches all things. He has the capacity in your life to search not just what's happening on the surface, but to search inside your soul for why things are happening. The Holy Spirit has intellect and he searches all things. The Holy Spirit has knowledge according to 1 Corinthians 2.11. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says the Holy Spirit understands the mind of God, which means the Holy Spirit can learn. The Holy Spirit can know. The Holy Spirit has intellect. The Holy Spirit has knowledge. The Holy Spirit has a mind according to the Bible. In Romans 8, 27, it says, the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. So he thinks. And in his thinking, he's able to know people. And in his thinking, he's able to understand people. And in his thinking, he's able to understand and know what you need. Every now and then, I'll preach a sermon, and someone will come up to me afterwards and say, you were talking right to me in this point of your sermon. 
And I'll say, no, I wasn't. I've never even met you before. How could I possibly be speaking right to you? I have people tell me all the time, you've been reading my mail. I didn't know what that used to mean until people basically said, you've been watching everything in my life. And I said, no, I haven't. But the Holy Spirit has. And if you felt like something I said today was specific for you, maybe it was, but not because of me, because of the Holy Spirit. He knows you. He searches you. He understands you. He actually knew what you needed to hear. So he had me say that for you. The Holy Spirit is a person with intellect, knowledge, a mind. The Holy Spirit has emotions. We're told in Ephesians 4.30 not to grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin or our unbelief or our fear or our spiritual laziness. The Holy Spirit can be offended at the way we live our life. He feels we can let him down. We can offend him with our life. And he has a will. 1 Corinthians 12.11 says he distributes spiritual gifts, which we'll study next week a little bit, as he wills. So the Holy Spirit is a person. But he's also answer number two, pretty basic theology, the Holy Spirit is God. Say, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's a person who's with you. Just like Jesus was a person who was with his disciples, the Holy Spirit is a person who is with you every day, unseen, but he should not be unfelt or unheard in our lives. But the Holy Spirit is God. You say, how could that possibly be? You've probably said this at one point in your life. You might even believe this from a distance, but maybe you've never really checked it out. Christians believe in and worship what we call a triune God. We believe in, you've probably said it, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see this language littered kind of all over Scripture, this triune God. In Genesis chapter 1, we hear God say these words, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. You've ever read that, you had to think, who's us? Who's he, who's he speaking to? There's nobody around but him. There's nobody around but God. So when God says us and our, who's he talking to? And we learn through scripture God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah, we see angels worshiping around the throne of God, and the word holy is always used three times holy, holy, holy. You said, is, is God holy three times? No, one is for the Father, one is for the Son, one is for the Holy Spirit. This thought of a triune God. At Jesus' baptism, we see all three present at one time. Jesus is in the water. The Holy Spirit is descending. God is speaking from heaven. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, all in the same place. We see the same thing happen at the transfiguration, all three at the exact same place. In the Great Commission, Jesus told told pastors and his disciples, go teach people. When you baptize them, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Most of you, if you've been baptized, have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But maybe you didn't even think about what that meant and and what that meant about the triune God. In the early creeds of the Christian church, in the first hundred years, we learn what the church believed. And all the creeds say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's a concept in theology called the Trinity. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible. The concept is from Genesis to Revelation. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit kind of being around but distinct from one another, yet always together. You say, what is the Trinity? Here's a simple definition for the doctrine of the Trinity. Christianity believes while there's one God, there are three eternally distinct and equal persons in the Godhead existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each is distinct from the other, yet the three are united as one God. The term triunity or a unified three may better express the idea. So when we read through the Bible, 
We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all having these attributes of God. We see in Scripture that they all have life and give life, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that they are all omniscient, which means all-knowing, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that they are all omnipotent, which means all-powerful, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that they are all omnipresent everywhere, all at once, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that they are all eternal. They've all existed from eternity and into eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that they all have this attribute of holiness. They are spiritually perfect, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all see that they exist in love and exude love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that they are truth and they know truth and give truth, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Christians believe in the Trinity. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person, but the Holy Spirit is God. And most of you are thinking, who cares, (laughs) right? It's like, that is so far beyond what I can understand how in the world is this going to apply to me? Some of you are thinking, Christian, I don't really get it. I think, you have, think you're over my head today. Here's what you need to know. I don't really get it either. Some things in Scripture aren't meant to be gotten, aren't meant to be understood, but they're meant to be known. Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, presents this kind of great conflict of knowing things that you can never understand as a follower of God. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, he helps me be okay with knowing, but not fully grasping everything I need to know about the Trinity. Here's what God says through Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God said, you'll never understand everything that I give you, but if you know it, I can use it. You're never going to understand, like, I'm God and you're not. You're never going to understand everything, but if you know it, I can plant it in your heart and I can use it in ways that you don't understand. I had a seminary professor that said a Christian who understands that, uh, saying a Christian should totally comprehend the doctrine of the Trinity is like saying your dog could do your math homework. They just exist on totally different levels of intellect. No matter how smart your dog is, you can never hand him a piece of paper and a pencil and a math problem and say, do it. The most trained, smartest dog in the world could not do that. There's no Christian in the world who could hear the doctrine of the Trinity and say, oh, that makes sense. And they totally wrap their mind around it. But you have to know it because God can't use it unless you know it. So God says, know it so that I can use it. Because if you get it, the Holy Spirit can have this huge role in your life of connecting you to God. This is kind of theology 101, basic theology, but something that every Christian should know. The Holy Spirit is a person that we have a relationship with. The Holy Spirit is God, which means we have a relationship with God through and because of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to question number two. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a Christian then? If that's who the Holy Spirit is, and even though I can't understand that, it's important for me to know that, what does he do in my life? I need to know and understand that. That's a great question. It's one that we truly don't have time to answer. So here is what I've done for you. Inside your bulletin is this little piece of paper. It's what I call a Holy Spirit cheat sheet for you to stick into your Bible. If you're following along in your app notes, at the bottom of your app notes, you can print this out and stick it in your Bible. These are the 12 things biblically, if you want to have a Bible study, 
that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian. It's what he does before you become a Christian. It's what he does the moment you become a Christian. It's what he does every day in your Christian life. These 12 things are what every Christian should know. On the back are all the Bible verses that tell you what he does. This is an entire another sermon. So this week I've given it on the podcast. If you don't normally listen to the podcast, I want to encourage you this week, go listen to the podcast. The entire podcast are these 12 verses and how the Holy Spirit works in your life as a Christian, broken down in much greater detail. After I recorded the podcast, I actually told Pastor Brandon, I think the podcast this week is better than the sermon because the sermon builds up to this, but this is probably more important than what I'm going to say on Sunday morning. So learn how to download this podcast. This week, listen to this message on the podcast and keep this in the front of your Bible. It will help you as you try to learn and understand the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give kind of the three big areas that the Holy Spirit works in the life of a Christian. If you're a Christian, this is where you've experienced the Holy Spirit. Answer number one, where is the Holy Spirit work in the life of a Christian? The Holy Spirit leads you into a relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, you cannot have a relationship with Jesus unless the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and tells you to. So you say, I've never heard from the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have. You might not have known it was him. You might not have known how to, how to identify his voice. But if you're a Christian, you've heard from the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I know that? John 16, verses 8 through 11. Here's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He said, when he comes, he will prove the world. If you have a pen, you might underline these words, prove the world. To be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That phrase, prove the world, is a Greek word that is the word alincho. It's a legal term that we find written into Greek history. Here's what it means. It means to cross-examine to the point of uncovering truth or to convince. It's used in two ways, of a jury and of a witness in a trial. It's used of this way for a jury, that after a jury has heard all of the facts of a case and had them cross-examined, they are able to finally see the truth of the matter. That's how it's used of a jury. It's used of a witness in this way, a witness who thinks he knows the truth, but after uncovering all of the facts of everything else, realizes that he was wrong, and now he's convinced something else is true. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will act in your life to continue to prod you with questions, to continue to lead you until you see things God's way. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to help your heart see things God's way. And we learn, according to Jesus, only the Holy Spirit can convince us of three things. One, that we're sinful. Only the Holy Spirit can speak to someone's heart and say, you're a sinner separated from God. If you don't believe that's true, just try to go cold call your neighbor and tell them, did you know you're a sinner and see how good you are at convincing someone who doesn't want to be convinced that they're a sinner? People can't convince people that they're sinners. Parents can't convince their children that they're sinners. Spouses can't convince a spouse who's not a Christian that, there are, that they are sinners. Kids can't convince their parents that they're sinners. When we try, it often pushes people further from God, not closer. But when the Holy Spirit says, you're a sinner and you're separated from God, man, our heart breaks. But only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's his role before we become Christians to convince us that we're sinners separated from God. He also convinces us that we can be right with God. He convinces us of righteousness. The definition of the word righteous is right standing with God. If you have ever heard this whispered into your soul, God loves you. That came from the Holy Spirit. If you've ever heard whispered into your heart, 
you can be right with God or God wants a relationship with you. That's come, that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's his job. That, only the Holy Spirit can convince somebody that they can be right with God and close to God. Otherwise, how could I stand up at Easter and Christmas and speak to thousands of people and then have dozens who respond? Everyone heard me, but what happened? A few dozen heard the Holy Spirit and said, God is speaking to my heart. The pastor hasn't convinced me, but God has. And only the Holy Spirit can convince us that sin has been judged and the eternal consequences of sin have been removed. If you're in here today and you believe that one day after you leave this world, you'll live in heaven because your sins have been forgiven, who convinced you of that? Deep in your heart. Only, according to Scripture, only the Holy Spirit has the ability to convince people they can be forgiven. They are forgiven. Only the Holy Spirit can make people feel forgiven. So if you've ever done anything in your past but you've let it go because you think God has forgiven me. The Holy Spirit told you that. If you've ever laid in bed feeling alone, but thought God loves me and I'm close to God, the Holy Spirit has told you. That's the Holy Spirit's role in our life, which leads us to this key question, which gives me great comfort as a pastor. When you became a Christian, was it because you heard a good sermon or because you heard the Holy Spirit? Because the reality that I know is no one can become a Christian without the Holy Spirit speaking to their heart. Say, so what about all the people who raise their hands? Everyone who the Holy Spirit has spoken to, they're good. Everyone who's trying to feel convinced by a good sermon, they got a long way to go. Only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can lead people to a relationship with Jesus. And if your heart has ever really heard that you're a sinner separated from God, you've heard from the Holy Spirit. If your heart has ever really heard God loves you and you can be in a relationship with him, You've heard from the Holy Spirit. If your heart has ever really heard, you can be forgiven. You are forgiven. God wants to forgive you. You've heard from the Holy Spirit. You might not have known it was him, but only the Holy Spirit can teach those things. What does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a Christian? He leads you into a relationship with Jesus. But that's just kind of being conceived spiritually. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he's responsible for your spiritual birth. So if answer number one, if we say, what does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a Christian? We could say he speaks to us about salvation, but then secondly, he makes your spirit come alive. The Holy Spirit is responsible for your spiritual birth. If you are a Christian, it is because the Holy Spirit has touched your spirit and it has made it come alive. Here's how Paul explains this to Titus in Titus 3, 4 through 6. Some of my favorite New Testament scripture. Paul said, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul told Titus, when you became a Christian, here's why you became a Christian, because Jesus dumped the Holy Spirit out generously on your life, into your life, you became a Christian because Jesus poured the Holy Spirit out on your life. Now, those of us in Kansas City who root for the Kansas City Royals know what this looks like, right? I mean, we are famously known for the Salvi Splash. So you know this picture. If you can see him as Jesus, the Gatorade is the Holy Spirit, and this is you, you can see a picture of Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, when you became a Christian, here's what happened. Jesus pours the Holy Spirit onto your life and it covers you and it fills your spirit. That's what Christianity is. That's what Christianity looks like in your life. 
It's like a Holy Spirit splash that's poured generously onto our life and into our spirit by Jesus. You say, well, what exactly happens when I become a Christian? Four things. You say, what are they? You're going to have to listen to the podcast or we're going to have to cancel the 11 o'clock service. I don't have time for them this morning. But four things happen at the moment of salvation. That, that Holy Spirit splash does four things to your life inside and outside and eternally. Go listen to it this week. I think you will enjoy it. What does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a Christian? He speaks to your heart about salvation. He pours the Holy Spirit into you so your spirit comes alive. And then answer number three, probably the most important. The Holy Spirit's goal is to make you more like Jesus. See, why is it important for me to know what the Holy Spirit does in my life? Because it's the Holy Spirit's goal and it's the Holy Spirit's role. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to make you like Jesus. You cannot become more like Jesus without the Holy Spirit in your life. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says it this way, For those God foreknew... Those God knew would become Christians, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You say, what's that mean? It means God's goal for every Christian is this, that your life would grow to look like Jesus. From the beginning of time, Paul says, God knew that every person who would follow Jesus, this is what would happen. They would begin to look like Jesus because of the Holy Spirit in their life. They would begin to serve like Jesus. That's what next week's message is about. They would begin to hear God's voice like Jesus. That's what two weeks' message is about. They would begin to have spiritual fruit in their life that made people see them like Jesus. That's what our message is about in three weeks. They would stay filled with the Spirit and would never get empty spiritually like Jesus. That's what our message is about on Thanksgiving weekend. If we can learn to capture the power of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to live like Jesus. All of this happens through the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul sets out some of the greatest theology in the New Testament about Christianity. And here's what he said. Christianity is so hard, it's almost impossible. That's what Romans 7 says. Christianity is so hard that it's almost impossible to live for God. There are things I know I should never do, and I keep doing them. There are things I know I should always do, and I, and I don't do them. Christianity is so hard, it's almost impossible. That's Romans 7. Romans 8 says Christianity is possible then because of this. And Romans 8 teaches us how to live the Christian life, which is nearly impossible, but with Jesus possible. Romans 8 said, here's how you live for Jesus in the Christian life. And here's the keynote of, well, how do you live for Jesus if it's so impossible? Paul mentions the Holy Spirit 32 times in the book of Romans. 22 of those are in Romans 8. In the entire book of Romans, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit, the the groundbreaking theological work of the New Testament. Says the words, Holy Spirit, 32 times. 22 of them are in one chapter. You say, what's that one chapter about? Living for Jesus, even though it's almost impossible. Some of you are sitting here today thinking it's almost impossible to do, Pastor Christian, everything you tell me what a Christian should do. It is almost impossible, but it's possible. You say, how? The Holy Spirit. 22 times in one chapter. Paul says, in Christianity, there's things you're not supposed to do, but you want to do them. And there's things you're supposed to do, but you don't want to do them. And sometimes you feel cursed. How are we going to close this bridge between what we are and what God wants us to be? The Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 8. And we find that the Holy Spirit does six things, six things every day in the life of a Christian. Six things every day in the life of a Christian that help us become like Jesus. Because here is the Holy Spirit's primary responsibility. The Holy Spirit's primary responsibility in your Christian life is to help you understand your relationship to God. And to feel close to him. 
It's the Holy Spirit's primary job. You say, what is he doing in my life today? Two things, hopefully. He's helping you feel close to God, and he's helping you understand your relationship. How am I even close to God? The Apostle Paul will say later in Galatians chapter 5, maybe this is the key for why this message is so important. The Apostle Paul will say the only way you can understand God and feel close to God is by walking in the Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, so I say walk by the Spirit, which is impossible if you've never heard of him, which is impossible if you don't know anything about him. And that's where the Christians at Ephesus were. Did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We've never heard of the Holy Spirit. That's where the Christian generation of A.W. Tozer was, the Holy Spirit. That, you know, it's kind of like this vague presence that floats around. Paul says the only way you can really live for Jesus is walking by the Spirit. Because if you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That's you before you became a Christian. Flesh, you before you became a Christian. Spirit, in you after you become a Christian. For the flesh, the old you, desires what's contrary to the Spirit, the new you. And the Spirit, the new you, desires what's contrary to the flesh, the old you. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul says as a Christian, your whole life you're going to think, should I live like I used to live or how Jesus wants me to live now? And the only way you're going to do that is by following the Spirit. But if you've never heard of him or you don't know who he is or you don't know how he works, it's nearly impossible. So Paul would say, I think, according to Galatians 5, if you don't know the Holy Spirit, you cannot live for Jesus. Your flesh is too strong. The old you and the spirit every day are in a tug of war. And you're either going to go get on the side of the flesh, and you're going to pull yourself towards your old life spiritually, or you're going to go side with the spirit, and you're going to pull yourself towards your new life looking like Jesus spiritually, but you've got to choose every day, and you can't choose unless you know who the Holy Spirit is, which is why we're doing this series. My goal through this series is that by the time you get to Thanksgiving, you will forever think differently about who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in your life to the point where you will start giving him credit for the things he's doing that you just don't know are him yet. Some of you are here and say, I don't think the Holy Spirit's ever worked in my life. Our goal is to change that. I read an article a few weeks ago about a six-year-old boy in Dallas by the name of Mason Motts. Mason was born with a syndrome called the Sotos syndrome, which slows growth and development in key kind of developmental functions of children. Some of these areas, if they don't develop by five, will never develop at all. And here he is at six years old. By the time he was six, he had never said a word. And the doctors told his parents he will never speak. So much so that they had taught him sign language and were communicating in sign language. They said the Soto syndrome just never fully developed this part of his brain, never fully developed this part of his mouth. He will never say a word to you. He will never speak. And in fact, at six years old, he had never uttered a complete word, just noises until he went to the dentist. And a dentist who specializes in working with children who have the anxiety and the fear of kids with the Soto syndrome was pulling some of his teeth one day and she realized as she looked into his mouth that he was severely tongue-tied. His tongue was literally tied and it had been since the womb to the bottom of his mouth. And she told his mom and dad, I'm not sure how everyone has missed this for six years, but I can in 60 seconds loose his tongue from the bottom of his mouth if you want me to it won't cause any pain and he should be able to talk fine for the rest of his life and they said do it she took her little device and in less than a minute she cut loose that extra patch of skin that was keeping his tongue on the bottom of his mouth and by that afternoon a boy who had never said a word was speaking in full sentences to his mom and dad 
Some of you have never heard a word from the Holy Spirit. You think he doesn't speak that way to you. you you've heard nudges. You've heard grunts. Like in worship every now and then you'll cry and you're like, that has to be him. You know, or you'll do something wrong and you'll feel bad and you think that has to be him. But you've never heard him speak. My goal is that through this series, if you understand who he is and how he works, that you won't just hear grunts, that you won't just communicate in sign language, but that you will hear the Holy Spirit, not just speaking words to you, but speaking sentences to you. So you can say, like the great hymn said last week, he walks with me. He talks with me. I talk to and hear from Jesus every day through the Holy Spirit. He's a person who's with me every day. He's also God, which means God is with me as a person every day. And his role is to connect me to God and make me look more like Jesus if I can learn to listen to him. Have you heard him? Do you hear him? Are you willing to open the ears of your heart? Are you open, willing to open your eyes spiritually so you can see him and know him? So you might look like Jesus, which is God's purpose for your life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we consider these things?